Warning, binge mode features adult content. Much like the show Game of Thrones, about which we are talking. If you watch Game of Thrones and you're fine with it, you'll probably be fine with this podcast. If not, the Ringer NBA show is very good. And now, binge mode. He is still the true king. Do you want to see your brother sitting on the Iron Throne? No. The common people are waiting for him. Illyrio said they are sewing dragon banners and praying for his return. The common people pray for rain, health, and a summer that never ends. They don't care what games the High Lords play. Hello, and welcome to Binge Mode, the newest podcast from The Ringer. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished bemoaning the hypocrisy of sneaking off for a little Sally on the side. Sally on the side. It's Ringer staff writer and internet archmaster, Jason Concepcion. Jason? Hello. Welcome, buddy. Let's do this. Let's do it. Jason, like... uh, so many of the fine folks on yes. Game of Thrones, we're uh, we're just looking to slice off a side of bacon, yes. you know? Rewatching and deep diving into all 60 episodes of 60. our favorite show. We're doing it one episode at a time. Yep. Those who fear spoilers should take caution. We'll say it every episode. We will be going deep on details from the show, from the books, both in the context of this episode and this season and beyond. But... Yes. Sniveling boys and sworn brothers alike are welcome here as we strap on our armor and discuss season one, episode four, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. Before we follow the Three-Eyed Raven deeper into the crypts, let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road by offering a brief refresher on what actually happened in this fourth episode. We begin in King's Landing where Ned Stark starts to investigate the circumstances surrounding John Aaron's death. He discovers that Aaron was reading a book on the genealogies of noble houses, a ponderous term, (laughs) and meets Gendry, one of Robert's bastards. Um, While Sansa sulks uh, over the fight with Prince Joffrey on the King's Road, uh, Arya continues her training, and Littlefinger counsels Ned about tradecraft and trust. Meanwhile, he gives Sansa a bit of tantalizing backstory about the animosity between the Clegane brothers. Meanwhile, across the narrow sea in Vaes Dothrak, Viserys, you know, is feeling slighted, doesn't yep. think that his kingly imperatives are being given their due respect, and he's uh, whining, whining like a little bitch I'm about right wanting his army, wanting his army. Danny, to her immense credit, finally stands up to him. Tells him he's not worthy of a braid, threatens to have his hand cut off if he touches her again. And then, you know, Jorah, seizing the moment, seizing seizing the changing seas, starts to prime her for thinking about a Viserysless world. Up at the wall, uh, John is putting that castle training to use. He's kicking ass in sword sparring sessions and taking the young Lord Samuel Tarly under his wing. Tensions with Sir Alistair Thorne grow. As they always do. Yes. They always do. Meanwhile, in the north... Despite a very frosty greeting at Winterfell, Tyrion shows Bran a kindness and then enjoys a foreshadowing rich yes. discussion with young Theon. Yes. 
And finally, at the end of the crossroads at the border of the Vale and the Riverlands, uh, Tyrion walks into the inn and happens to see Cat Stark sitting there. Cat makes the speech of her life, inspiring a ragtag collection of bannermen and citizens to seize Tyrion for the attempted murder of Bran Stark. Great moment. Yeah. Great moment. All right, Jason, all of those winding paths get us right to this episode's big idea. Yes. So let's cut right to the core of it. Stick it with the pointy end. Let's do it. The defining theme of this episode is plotting. So much plot. In Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things, we see so many characters caught up in political or personal plots yep. and conspiracies, either that they've intentionally crafted or that they've unwittingly stumbled into. Because let's yep. be honest, a lot of these people are idiots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the main plot in the episode centers on Ned's quest to yeah. solve John Aaron's death we're not sure right yet something that happened. it's a murder but we're, right. we're, we're, we're thinking it, it might seems be. suspicious so the main plot in the episode mm -hmm. centers on ned's quest to figure out what happened to john aaron <laughs> his beloved former father figure and one of the lines we hear in this episode that will then become a part of thrones lore yes the seed is strong the seed is strong my lord. One of the things that is pretty remarkable here is how many different wrinkles there are, yeah, right? It, so it's, it's kind so of like many. plots upon plots upon plots, and that's really before anybody, specifically Ned, of course, <laughs> figures out what's going on. So right. basically at this point, you have plot number one is whatever Jiren was actually up to right. when he was still alive, right? Then we have plot number two is what led to John's demise? Like, right. Who actually killed him? What Why? specifically right. took him down? What went on there? Plot three, Ned's efforts to figure out what happened to John. And then plot four, of course, inevitably by extension, is Ned is basically just recreating <laughs> right. plot one, which right. is John's investigation. How could that go poorly? Right. How could that possibly go poorly? Uh Picel, this is when he chooses to share with Ned that the one phrase that John kept repeating toward the end. The seed is strong, my lord. <laughs> it's somehow more soothing every yeah, time you say you. it. Creepier, definitely, yeah, but also more soothing. Ned is floating his conspiracy theories. Again, what, what is a plot if not a conspiracy theory? They're, they're sort of cousins. Poison. Could poison be in play here? A woman's weapon, my lord. A woman's weapon. That's a possibility because, of course, we know that Ned already is suspecting Cersei. Ned has already met with Kat. They've discussed the yeah. Lannister agenda. He's on the lookout. Pycelle never missing an opportunity to sow dissent. Women, Cravens, and yes. eunuchs. He He'd... wants to throw the suspicion on Varys. Yes, he would love to do that. Really because... shady bastard. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really the, um, of the people who actually know what's going on, he's the least effective, which is what's kind of fun about Pycelle. Um, After that little finger kind of sinks his talons, into Ned. Uh, he treats Ned uh, much like a cat would treat a ball of yarn. Would, you, would you agree? So so lovingly and with great enthusiasm? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, he uh, the thing that really strikes me about Littlefinger and the way he, he treats Ned is he, he points him in directions that are actually helpful, mm -hmm. but with full expectation that Ned is so clueless that right. he can't help 
but fuck it up in some way. And he ta- he seems to delight in doing that. You know, he tells Ned about that he knows about the book. Why would he do that? You know, uh, he as they walk through the garden there, he's saying, you see, there's Cersei's spies and there's right. Varys's spies and then there's my spies. And he's he's he is kind of like uh, just delighting and letting him know just how over his head he is. You know? and, and Ned doesn't even seem to get it because right at the end there, as as um, Littlefinger says, okay, those those are my spies over there. He says, uh, oh, perhaps I was I was wrong to mistrust you. And, and of course, uh, Carcetti, <laughs> Carcetti, mistrusting me was the wisest thing you've done since you climbed off your horse. I can't do. I'm not. A, I'm not as good with Littlefinger. But like, well, will your Littlefinger shift through the seasons as his accent <laughs> yes. actually does on the show? Because that's crucial. Yeah, you're completely right about Littlefinger. Though that stood yeah. out to me as well. It's like the line about mistrusting me was the wisest thing you've ever done since you climbed off your horse. Is obviously the prime example. Yeah. But there's also a slightly subtler one when. Littlefinger is basically he's simultaneously playing puppet master yeah. and pulling Ned's strings and also attempting to actually warn him when he says, Is there someone in your service who you trust completely? Right. And Ned basically is like, Yeah, of course. Like I'm a I'm an open-minded, <laughs> kind-hearted guy. I know oh. none of these people would ever do anything right, wrong right, right. to me. What do you mean? And Littlefinger says, the wiser answer was no, my lord. Right. Like this is actually imperative advice and if ned would just like latch on to something like that and hear what someone is saying he would not be betrayed so many times you know ned should not be going to the armorer (laughs) ned Ned should go home immediately actually ned should like leave king's landing and go back ned should go polish ice yeah hang out in the godswood and not really bother anybody ever again but of course ned is not receptive to what littlefinger or anybody else is counseling whether it's about questioning sir hugh pursuing any of the leads about john aaron or what might be going on with robert and the other thing about littlefinger though is that he is always manipulating as many people at once as he can because that is kind of the key to his agenda, right? right? You can't... Stir the pot. Yeah. Chaos is a ladder. Chaos is a ladder, exactly. You can't ever just focus on one mark because the entire world is his mark. And so he can't help himself, right? At the tourney, he's not just playing Ned. He's playing Sansa. He, I mean, watching (laughs) this scene now with all the history that these two have shared, like... Menacing. Very creepy and weird. Very creepy and weird. He has to gossip. He has to stir the shit. Has anyone ever told you the story of the mountain and the hound? He's trying to make her afraid, but he's also trying to establish himself as a confidant, someone she can view as a source of information, Mm -hmm. a source of trust, even though, of course, can't trust him. And one of the things I really love is that when he says to to Sansa about the mountain, Mm. some lucky boy is just born with a talent for violence, like... He's talking about himself as much as anyone else. I mean, that sheer projection, or at least in some way you could argue almost wishful thinking, yeah. he wants to be the power player. He yeah. wants to be kind of the bad guy. Of course, right after Littlefinger's uh, just light story time, yeah. the mountain kills Sir Hugh, right. right? who is Ned's best lead. What, great, great gurgling in this scene. Gotta say, have a new 4K TV at home. <laughs> Just revolting, just revolting to watch the blood bubble up out of the throat wound. I'll never look at a piece of wood the same way again. Never. So 
Hugh, Ned's best lead. Ned's plot is now compromised. Yeah. How can he uncover the truth if his best lead is gurgling in a sand pit and blood pit? Well, here's the natural question. Who paired the mountain and Hugh, right? Yeah. Something is afoot. Ned will continue to explore this. He cannot only focus on his investigation. He cannot only focus on his conversations with Littlefinger because someone is always coming to him. One of the amazing things about Ned's well, I was going to say season one arc, Ned's arc, full stop, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> is the second he makes progress mm -hmm. of any sort, someone else is right there right. to either say, I'm with you or ahead of you, right. right? And so we see this a few times with him in this episode with different characters. Delightfully, we see it with Cersei, oh. the Ned-Cersei scenes, just precious, just precious gifts to us all. And... She comes in and basically like tries to make small talk for 10 seconds. <laughs> the only thing that is actually capable of doing is identifying that kind of bullshit. So he right. calls her out on it. And she basically says, why are you here? Right. right? What are you what doing? What are you actually doing right. here? AKA, what is your plot? Right. What is go? What is the point? Right. And he says, you know, here to help my buddy. Right. Here to, here to help being Rob. Yeah. And she rightly says that Robert is beyond helping. And then she delivers a really great line. You're just a soldier, aren't you? You take your orders and you carry on. I suppose it makes sense. Your older brother was trained Oof, to lead and so you true. were trained to follow. Now, that, yeah, is that is harsh shit. That is cuts right to the heart of it, though. That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. And it's such an important reminder for us as viewers that Ned might be caught up in the middle of all of yeah. this plotting and all of this scheming and all of this conspiratorial action, but... He's not up to it. He's not, he's not good it. at it, and he's not really made to survive it. So there are other microplots in this episode as well that don't get quite as much screen time as that core A storyline, but they do ultimately have huge ramifications down the road. So let's very quickly run through just a couple of them. Uh, one is that even John, oh. who... You know, at this point in the in the show, probably thinks that uh, plots and conspiracies is the name of an emo band. Sure. Uh, has a scheme of his own, and that's that's to protect young Samwell. Young well, Samwell. Well, he he goes and does the Full Metal Jacket uh, thing, <laughs> where he uh, accosts Rast in the yeah. in the dormitory. Uses love any scene with ghosts. That's right, and uses love ghost. any scene with ghosts. Um, John puts his heart ahead of what's popular. You learn a lot about John. Right there. You do. It's a really kind of heartwarming yeah. moment for him. The the John Sam scenes in this episode are great. It's actually amazing how far they go in the course of one episode yeah. from not knowing each other, kind of like dubious, like why are you here if you think you're a coward yeah. stuff. A coward. To, you know, not only John using ghost as a weapon yeah. sort of for the first time, which is key and will come into play later, but crucially like winning others to his cause yeah, already like he's a leader already yeah his his instinct to sort of nurture and protect helps him step into the role of a leader yep. and he's gonna need to do a lot of that moving forward this might be what alistair thorne hates about john almost instinctually you know he's a guy who who really uh he he rules through his position mm -hmm. whereas john is just a nat naturally something about john draws people to him. They want to follow him. Yeah, there's nothing magnetic or yeah. winning or inspiring about Alistair. Cat. Um, <laughs> We're going to talk about Cat a little more later, but just very quickly here, in the larger context of scheming, two who's notable... Better at, who's better, Cat, Cat or Ned, at scheming? Cat, I think. Cat, but, but they're both really bad at it. They're both, they both make a lot of really, really bad decisions. Yeah, they really do. 
They're uh, not good at this. Yeah. They definitely should have stayed home in Winterfell. Cat, <laughs> uh, two notable things here. One, she did not know that she would stumble upon Tyrion, right? right? She Complete accident. was able to adjust to her circumstances, and in this world, that is very key. Yeah. Uh, of course, number two, relatedly, yeah. is that, as is so often the case with Kat, she might be adjusting to the wrong right. circumstances, yeah. which is problematic. Again, more on that in a in a hot minute. Uh, and then finally, across the ROC, interesting episode for Viserys and Danny and Jorah. Jorah looks great in this episode, I have to say. <laughs> he just, really does. just looks Gosh, amazing. Yeah. So Viserys' entire life, basically, has led to his plot yeah. to take the Dothraki army west, and that plot is crumbling. He's had the fate the fate of the Targaryen dynasty on my shoulders since I was five years old. I'm going to need you to go up an octave yeah, to sound a little more desperate and full of despair and paranoia. Yeah. And it can't feel good that basically, intentionally or otherwise, the person foiling his plot is his own sister yeah. he has kind of as is so often the case of this show people are their own worst enemies he has put her in the position in an effort to help himself where she is actually going to be the one who can kind of cast him aside and jorah is really trying to get danny to see this she said he, he says one of the great lines of the show your brother rhaegar was the last dragon viserys is less than the shadow of a snake Woof. harsh really harsh danny how does she reply my brother will never take back the Seven Kingdoms. He couldn't lead an army, even if my husband gave him one. He'll never take us home. For her, she's not actively plotting at this point, but clarity yeah. is sort of the the catalyzing agent. Her plot is kind of crystallizing, not fully conscious yet of even the feelings that she's having or the decisions that she's making, but she's on the road. She's on the road to a scheme of her own. Um, of course... Viserys's plotting would be going a lot better if he had that old Targaryen staple on his hands. <laughs> Dragons, right? We are still a few hours away from seeing uh, these beasts in they the They win every argument. They sure do. Really know yeah. how to silence the, uh, the dissenters. Yeah. This episode gives us a taste of Dragon Lore 101. Mm -hmm. We have... <laughs> Just an, an incredible scene between... Perhaps the first sex, true sex position yes. scene in the in the series. One of the great achievements of Game of Thrones <laughs> is that sex position is now just a term that everybody uses and understands. Yeah. We get it here, Dorea and Viserys using some uh, dragon-centric history lessons as bath time foreplay. I'll tell you what I have seen. They're skulls. They used to decorate the throne room in the Red Keep. There was Giscar and Valryon. Vermithrax, Esovius, Arcane, Maraxes, Vega, and Beleriand the Dread. Maraxes, Maester Vega. This is great. This is really great stuff. <laughs> Before the. Uh, Swords of the Vanquished melt together here like so many candles. Yes. Please assemble the Conclave. Take our listeners to the Citadel with you. Teach them everything they need to know about dragon lore. So dragons are most closely associated with Valerians in the ruined city-state of Valeria, homeland of the Targaryens. In Karth, and Eri brings this up, Eri, um, one of Danny's handmaidens, um, talks about how in Karth they believe the dragons came from the second moon in the sky and that it was an egg it cracked open. It um, is known. 
Yes, it is known. I, I like that because it like sort of it elevates the dragons to basically like godlike status, yes. right? The fact that there are different origin stories, different myths, different legends. It's like it can't be tangible because it is magic. Right. It is greater than. And it's one of the great things about the series in general is that totally. there's different interpretations for different things. So uh, using these beasts of mass destruction, the, the Valerians <laughs> were able to conquer. So fast forward and about 400 years before the events of the show, uh, Essos is thrown into chaos when the Valerian homeland is destroyed by a great disaster known as the Doom. Um, the Targaryens managed to escape this because so they had some kind of premonition of that something was going to occur. And they, Useful. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. So they had escaped to Dragonstone in the Narrow Sea with their dragons. Fast forward again, over 100 years, and Aegon the Conqueror with his two sister wives, Anus and Rhaenys. <laughs> And then uh, three dragons. That's yeah, I like it. <laughs> uh, sorry, I meant Visenya and Rhaenys. And three dragons. Balerion, the Black Dread, who's gigantic, absolutely huge dragon. Um, uh, it, that he had been born since before the Doom of Valeria, so he was like the size of like a 747. Vagar and Maraxes. I'm uh, gonna need you to do this in the Viserys bathtub voice. I need you to sound like you're on the Maraxes. brink of penetrating a woman as you recite these dragon names. And a really a small army, which kind of shows you the power of these dragons. They had less than um, than two thousand men, and invaded an entire continent and conquered it. You know, over the course of like less than three years. Um, so they unified the seven kingdoms and established the Targaryen dynasty. And they would still be going today if. Not for the fact that their dragons all died. Uh, probably the the, ma the major contributing factor was a civil war known as the Dance of the Dragons. Happened about 130 years after the conquest. And it was like like all civil wars in Westeros had to do with a um, uh, dynastic issue of succession and an argument. So at the end of that great war, which had many battles, dragon uh, riders fighting dragon rider... Um, there were only four dragons after that. There's 20 at the start, four remained afterwards. Last dragon uh, died about 150 years before the events of the show, and it was like a dwarfin thing. Little. What does Viserys say? Like the skull the size of an apple? Skull the size of an apple. How did the Targaryens tame these things? Um, it's a great question. Uh, their dragons are, are spoken of as being very intelligent creatures, kind of like a horse, but smarter, uh, also fearsome. Um there's talk of magical horns that bind the dragon to a particular rider. Um, the Targaryens were known to sleep next to the eggs, next to the dragons, creating a bond. Nobody's really sure what happened. After the death of the dragons, um, the Targaryens had a lot of dragon eggs. And so one thing they tried to do was uh, hatch them in some way. But they kind of, the knowledge had been lost and probably the magic had been lost, too. Mm -hmm. Um, there were a lot of these attempts. Some of them ended quite tragically. One that the book readers will be um, aware of was is the tragedy at Summerhall, where Aegon the Aegon the Fifth, who was uh, Maester Aemon's old younger brother, um, perished along with a great number of uh, his retinue and family members in a, in a great blaze that is is still unexplained. Um, and there are whispers that the Maesters of the Citadel played some kind of role in this. The, ma the Maesters are um, purveyors of knowledge and science, and they're just naturally antagonistic towards magic. And and um, so they may have had something to do with the deaths of the dragons. Um, but no one really knows. And and since the 
the dragons disappeared. Magic has kind of slowly faded from the world. And the and, seasons have changed a little the, bit. The seasons have changed. And, and a lot of these uh, mystical beasts and magical things that once existed are thought of now as, as legends. Even the dragons are somewhat um, thought of as, as legendary. Not that they didn't exist, but that they'll, they're just never coming back. Like very tellingly on the show, yeah. at least, right? Like Danny, and this is her family's legacy. <laughs> She doesn't really know yeah. anything about them. She's asking her her her, her yep. assistants for information. Yep. Oh, there aren't any dragons. Like she has no information, so that's really just notable in terms of how, even in a relatively speaking short span of time, yeah. the the understanding of what this was and what it was all about has really faded from the world. I'm I'm curious very quickly, like what your thoughts are on the exchange, the line that Viserys has during when the you know the dragons are sort of serving us as fluffers while he's in the tub, and he <laughs> says. <laughs> The brave men didn't kill the dragons. Right. The brave men rode them. I just think that's fascinating because a statement like that is like, that's just going to matter moving forward right. throughout the rest of the stories when we know that the dragons are going to come into play in a big way. Is that true? It's also, yeah, it's kind of, it's a little bit of uh, self-serving Targaryen propaganda because right. uh, men did kill dragons. It's very difficult to kill dragon. There's uh, obviously the weak points are the eyes and certain... But that's that's basically it. But during the um, tail end of the Dance of Dragons Civil War, um, a kind of mad prophet fired up a, a mob of citizens of King's Landing. They stormed the dragon pit, which was the area where um, this kind of vast structure where the, the dragons were kept chained up. Um, and they managed to kill five dragons. You know, one of the guys was uh, this guy, Hobbs, a woodcutter, killed a dragon with an axe to the head. Um, it, I'm hundreds of people died during this and the dragons were chained most of them um but yeah people can kill dragons it's just uh, very difficult all right maester i uh we would all love to to stay in this tub with you forever but Wonderful. it's uh it's time to head to the sept maraxes <laughs> to bathe to take a different kind of bath to bathe in the light of the seven <laughs> sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this particular episode and as always we will at least attempt to do it lightning Ooh. round style this is always when our producer zach gives us kind of the evil eye because <laughs> he's like guys can you show faster. a little hustle please faster Number one for me watching this episode, tons, tons, tons of Lots. Theon foreshadowing. Letting you know. He enters Bran's room. Summer growls. Yes. The yeah, dire wolves huge. always know. They always they know. They always fucking know. Always then know. a little later, Tyrion says to Theon, your loyalty to your captors is touching. Little <laughs> comments like that. Theon yep. is sensitive. Theon remembers things. And yeah. that kind of comment primes him for what's going to come. Yeah. And then... All the way over in King's Landing, Jory and Jamie are discussing the siege on Pike. Jamie's kind of being a dick, but they're yeah. also sort of reminiscing together about a battle they participated in. And Jamie mentions that he saw Theon at Winterfell. It was like seeing a shock on a mountaintop. <laughs> there you go. Beautiful. Yeah. Your, your Jamie is very poetic yeah, and sounds so sort of lyrical. Yeah. And Jory says, Theon, he's a good lad. <laughs> Jamie always cutting right through the bullshit. Yeah. I doubt it. And yeah. of course... He's right. He's right. All of this is priming Theon's eventual betrayal. And then there's another bit of foreshadowing that's sort of related to Theon because it's in a conversation with him, but it's not specifically foreshadowing something about Theon's future. It's foreshadowing something about the man who says it, Tyrion. They're talking about the siege on Pike, and Tyrion says, nothing prettier than watching sailors burn alive. 
black water much? Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right, what's number two? We get um, the first appearance of our friend Hodor and Old Nan's great speech at the bedside. Uh, Old Nan, by the way, Hodor's great-grandmother. Did she or did one of that family sleep with a giant? We don't know. But um, Nan is crazy. Nan is crazy. Nan was wild back in the day. You get into that mead. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. You never know with Nan. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, the other thing about the bathtub sex position, this, yes. is, this is our third item here. It's not just sex position. Yeah. It is also a really great primer for some of the, the mysterious elements yeah, of the story that, that we're going to come to see. The great line from Drea, I've seen a man from a shy with a dagger of real dragon glass. I've seen a man who could change his face Hello. the way other men change their clothes. And I've seen a pirate who wore his weight in gold and ships had sails of colored silk. We will literally see all of those things. Obviously, the changing his face the way other men change their clothes is particularly notable as that is something that uh, just everybody who cares about the story really fucking likes. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool to hear. What's next? Up at the wall, Rast has a, a great rejoinder to Sam talking about uh, coming to take the black. He says, come to take the black pudding. <laughs> Gotta say, Rast is a piece of garbage, but that's he's very a, funny. He's a piece of shit, but that was very, very, very good. Funny. And, and you also get to see um, part of why you understand from that why Sam and John bond. Uh, yes. Sam tells the story of, of um, why he is at the wall because his dad basically doesn't want a coward for a son. Um, and it's that kind of um, father issues and lack of familial acceptance that, that bonds them together and also the fact that they've never had sex. <laughs> Great. The, the Roz conversation is beautiful. Oof. It's I mean, it's actually like very sweet and moving the way John takes this so seriously. It's Doesn't very, want another bastard named Snow. It's very Drake. It's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I, I started thinking, what if I make a bastard? Uh, all right. Fifth, Jano Slint. He's uh, here. He's in our lives. Guy. He's harassing the small council about the gold cloaks needing more men. Yada, yada, yada. So needy. But why is this notable? It is notable because Ned offers 20 men of his own. Seems, you know, insignificant at the time. It It's just one of many instances of yep. Ned basically arming his foes without <laughs> having any idea what he's doing. Yeah. Weakening himself and arming the enemy. Cannot get out of his yeah. own way. All right. What's next? Um Arya, after uh, Ned tells her that she'll marry a lord and have lots of sons, she's... No, that's not me. And she says it with such confidence, quiet confidence, that it is not her. Love it. Uh, and also, you know, um, she's learning a lot from cats. One of the many things that I admire about Arya. She's you know, never sorts when she should study cats. Edge light on their feet, can't catch them. It's beautiful. She's incredible. She's incredible, and so are cats. <laughs> Finally, seven out of seven here. How about some Mance yeah. Raider foreshadowing while we're at it? When yeah. Alistair comes in and is grilling Sam and John and being a huge dick and talking about being stuck beyond the wall for six months and being cold and having to eat people. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Come the winter, you'll die like flies. <laughs> yeah, he's really intense, isn't he? <laughs> he's got to like, chill. Man, dude. Relax. Dude needs a woman. Yeah, head, over to, head over to Molestown yeah. for, uh, for a night, for a little Sally on the side. Um, he says, 
We heard a rumor Mance Raider was planning to attack Eastwatch, yada, yada, yada. Wildlings who fight for Mance are hard men, yep. harder than you'll ever be. And then, of course, he has to add on for just the sake of drama. Yeah. You don't know cold. That's good. It's like, I don't know, man. It's pretty chilly in here. Yeah. All right. Nothing in this episode was colder than Cat's checkmate Boom. move against Tyrion. Every episode, we're going to honor the person or creature who played the game and advanced his or her cause in some tangible, awesome way. And this week, the winner is someone we kind of hate and make fun of a lot. So she, she really did move. it. She really did it. Won that metaphorical joust. Earned our champion's purse. It's Cat. Yep. It's Cat. Didn't think it could be done, but she did it. Give her some props, man. You've been taking shits on her for the last Listen, few episodes. You know what it reminded me of? Um, I'm glad you you said the checkmate because it reminded me of when you first learned to do like that four move checkmate in chess the first mm -hmm. time you play it um, because it really was like one of those four move checkmates. It's like if you know how to get out of it, it's not really a big deal. And so that Tyrion knows how to get out of it. So right. it ended up not being a big deal. But really, what a great speech. Sir, is that the black? of Harrenhal I see on your coat. And just the way she stirs all these people, reminds them of what the Tullys mean in this area, what they've meant to these people, how they protected right. them. Um, and she's just able to stir them to these this really incredible action that would have huge repercussions and would be something people would talk about immediately. Like the fact that this news got back to, to King's Landing quite fast and it right. and it's no surprise. And that, you know, you really get, I got chills watching it again, just oh, the yeah. way like the swords come out and boom, oh. right on Tyrion's neck. You know, just a, a, incredible. It's particularly incredible when you think of like what we will come to learn very quickly about how sincerely everybody fears Tywin. Yes. Like the entire realm really lives in For years fear and years of Tywin. Like decades. That's not new. That's yeah. a deeply entrenched, established terror. And so the fact that p she is able to get people to act in her it's interest amazing. against it the really Lannisters is, amazing. is incredible. One of the other things that's so cool about it is that what do we talk about every episode here? It's about how people from different families and different parts of the Seven Kingdoms are at odds, different yeah. ways of life. Cat in this moment is kind of a bridge between yep. these worlds. She's acting as a, a Stark. She's acting as Lady. She's identified as Lady Stark. She's yeah. acting as Lady Stark, a woman of the North. And yet, ev almost everyone she's calling on is a bannerman of the of, of River on yep. of Hoster Tully of her father, and. That's a pretty powerful thing to be able to do, to be able to walk that line between your current and your prior life. She does it really well. I think the fact that she ultimately does not have the foresight to anticipate the problems that right. this is going to cause, obviously that is not great, but in this moment, it's more impressive and more important that she's able to instantly adapt. She's just sitting down for like some steak and yep. ale pie or whatever. Yeah, she was going to let it go. She saw him and she was very happy to let him not see her he walk away. He calls her out, right? That's he, right. I mean, not calls her out, like right. to challenge. He's like, yo, Catelyn Stark! I missed you at Winterfell. <laughs> yeah, what happened? I was just talking to that asshole Theon. Yeah. Where were you? I missed you. <laughs> Your son needs to learn how to be a better host. Yeah. And she instantly in that moment. Yeah. Switches. Makes a decision, takes decisive action, and puts a plan in motion. Very few people on the show, including her husband, are able to do similar things. So 
shouts to Kat. You're basically doomed, but in this moment, you did <laughs> something point. awesome. You did it. Way to go. All right, guys. Thanks for listening and admiring the Bulls helm with us today. <laughs> we uh, hope that you had as much fun as we did and that you will join us again next time. We will be discussing Season 1, Episode 5, The Wolf and the Lion. Ooh. Until then, we've said it a few times, but it's imperative that you remember. The seed is strong. The seed is strong. He kept saying, the seed is strong. I, I remember the seed, which was the subject of the sentence, and he amended that to say that the seed was strong, was very strong. <laughs>